We now come to the scripture reading. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24, from Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. From 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is great to see you both online and you who are here, wherever you are in your journey of life, wherever you are in your journey of faith, we are glad that you are here. My name is Dan McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here, and I welcome you in the name of Jesus. We've been doing a series on faith and how it relates to work, our jobs, our professions, our trades. And one of the questions I have gotten asked most frequently is this, how do I figure out what work I'm called to do? What job should I take? I'm always being asked, what does God think of the work I'm doing? When do I know I should leave? What other job should I get? And what I get particularly here in this global city is something particular to global cities which is what I like to call the global city shuffle, and that is, should I move to Seattle for a while and work with Microsoft or San Francisco with Google? Should I take a Hong Kong gig for my bank or London? Should my, I take my engineering firm's offer to go to Berlin or Paris? You see, what people are doing, especially in this global city's professional class, is doing what the culture does which is following the wind of career advancement and opportunities wherever it may take us because of global mobility. So we go from city to city, continent to continent, rootless, a little bit restless, chasing something, but as I talk to people, often still unsatisfied. We do it because it is the thing that is done, but inside we have this question, am I really called to this? 
Meanwhile, people who live near us and know us but don't have that kind of global mobility, we quietly envy and sometimes resent this crisscrossing, renting a city for a while and putting it on our resumes because we can't do it. And we wonder, am I missing something? And what Jesus would say to both of us, both those of us who are doing this, those of us who are hoping to do this, and those of us who are wishing we could do this is, in the process of this process, we're asking the wrong questions. Because the question is not, which job am I called to? What dream job should I chase? That is not the question. The question is this, which job right now fits the calling I already have and will always have. Because the promise is not that we generally don't know our calling if we're Christians. The problem is actually that we do. We just don't really want to follow it. The question really, really is this. Whom do I want to follow? Jesus or me? You can dress it up in a hundred different outfits, but it will come down to that question. Whom will you follow? That is really the question in calling. Does this sound surprising to you or simplistic? Good. That means it's confronting you where it should. So let's dive in because in these two passages we see two things. Firstly, we see what our primary calling is, around which we should shape everything else. Secondly, we see how hard it is to do that. Your primary calling and how hard it is. I say this as precisely as I can to those of you who are Christians and to those of you who are not. <clears throat> you are not called to take whatever faith you have and bring it to your work. You are called to take what work you have and configure it around your faith. You don't take your faith to your work. You take your work to your faith. You take it to Jesus who says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Your primary calling is simple. That's found in Matthew chapter 4 and this is our first point. Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He confronts two brothers, Simon, who's going to be called Peter, Andrew, his brother. They are fishermen. They're casting nets into the sea. And what does he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Matthew says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. There it is again. He le they left their boats and followed him. Jesus here is beginning his ministry, and he does to these fishermen what he does to each and every person. He looks them in the eye, and he says, follow me. He calls them as he calls us. Follow me. No other promises. It's that simple. Note what he does not do. He does not tell each of them what their dream job is or should be, what profession to undertake, where to live. No. He says, follow me. 
Because the essence of calling men and women, particularly and especially for those of us who are Christians, is not to a job, a place, a lifestyle. It's to a person who is God. You are called to give your life to Jesus Christ without reservation, without qualification, without preconditions as to what that might mean. This is your calling. Wherever we are in our journey of faith right now, we must confront this. If you are not yet a Christian, you know what your calling is? It is the same. Because the one who said, follow me, is the one who created you to follow him. Jesus is calling you right now, even if you don't believe, and saying, give your life to me. Jesus is calling you right now, even if you do believe, and said, give your life to me all of it. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There it is. That is our primary calling, simple to the point of simplistic. Not very long, not very detailed, but Jesus means every word, and every word means everything, because there is none other that you are called to. No other calling is available to you. Follow Him. Follow me, he says. Follow what his words tell you to do. Follow me, he says. Follow the example he gives of how to love unconditionally. Follow me, he says. Show the self-sacrificing self-denial that he did when he gave up his life. Follow me. Even if it means rejection. Even if it means no promotion. Even if it means servitude. Even if it means loneliness. Follow me even to death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ comes to someone, He bids them come and die. These men were fishermen. Their wealth was in their boats. Their boats contained their means of making money, feeding their families, planning for vacations, building a resume. Their boats gave them some measure of the ability to control their own lives. It helped them to determine their own futures. To give up your boat was to give up your control. But the gospel account says immediately they left their boats and followed Him. They left their future income behind. They left their ability to control and plan their future behind. They simply followed Him. These boats are a symbol of them serving them. And they chose not to follow them, but to follow Him. Did Jesus condemn them for giving up their profession and being so foolish with these boats? No. Did He ask them to go and seek the advice of their parents or their colleagues or people who'd help pay for their education or buy the boats for them? No. The Son of God in all of His dignity and power, all of His majesty and glory, looks us in the eye and says to each one of us, follow me. As K.N. has told us, it is the only place to find grace, healing, forgiveness, and freedom. But you must follow Him to receive it. Jesus says, I'm okay with you leaving that boat behind because I will give you a new boat. I will give you a new assignment. Did you hear what he said? Follow me and I will 
make you fishers of men. Wait, wait, this isn't your dream job to, to fish for humans? <laughs> no, not your dream job? Mine neither. Not my dream job, but it is God's design for me and for you. If we are Christians, we are called to do this, to enter into this vocation of fishing for others. It doesn't mean we're all called to priests or pastors or some kind of vocational ministry. I have a kind of an illustration of that later. But whatever we do, wherever we are, whatever jobs we have, we bring them to our faith and our calling and this real work to make fishers of men and women. Do you head up an IT firm? Fantastic. Take what you're doing and build it into your calling to follow Him. Are you a carpenter? Follow the carpenter and be His fisher of women and men. Make beautiful tables. Fit your work, though, into your faith and go and bear witness. What does it mean to be a fisher of women and men? It means to this, to be actively, fruitfully, intentionally, meaningfully involved in presenting Jesus through your words and your deeds and your work and your leisure so that people might see the power, the love, the peace, the joy, the kindness and patience of Jesus in and through all of who you are. It means being a public Christian so people know this about you, that you love Jesus, and can see this about you, that you do love Jesus, and because of that, you do love them. This is your calling. Now, I'm sure the phone's going to buzz with what, what does it mean about ambition and taking promotions at work? Nothing wrong with that, but if you want a good deep dive into ambition, go back a few in our series. Go online and see Lester Lau's very thoughtful sermon on ambition and work because your ambition needs to be redeemed we are called to be intensely ambition ambitious about following jesus beautifully we're called to follow him relentlessly and be ambitious about that does it mean you don't care about the quality of your work no 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 heavens no May the excellence of your work be part of the worship you give to the one who calls you to follow him. May the beauty of the way that you treat work show glory to the one who's called you to use that work to beautify and glorify him. Work is worship. Your work is part of your worship to God. But see, now the motivation for your work is changing. The ambition has changed. You are not serving you. You are serving Him. You do great work to display His greatness, not yours. You use promotions to display Him better, not you. By the way, did Jesus promise anyone a dream job? Have you heard what he said you should expect when you follow his calling? We'll be misunderstood, persecuted, rejected. Listen to him. If anyone would come after me, Matthew 16, 24, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. <laughs> I don't hear a lot of 
exciting, globe-hopping opportunities in that one. Take up your cross. That meant take up the cross of a convicted criminal who's going to death. Take up that kind of lifestyle. This is the calling of Christ to His people. No other calling. There are no waivers. There are no exceptions. People have often said, well, you can preach this kind of sermon because you're in ministry. I'm in ministry because I took seriously this calling and was willing to go wherever He called me to go. Are you? Are you? People tell me it's easy for you to call people to be fishers of men because you're an extrovert. (laughs) To tell you the truth, the best, most fruitful people I have seen in displaying the worth of Jesus publicly are almost all introverts. We extroverts like to be liked too much. We let that get in the way. I feel like introverts have a little more of the courage of being who they're called to be. You see, the fascinating thing about Jesus is He doesn't seem to be too worried here in this discussion of calling about what job we're making a living from. His followers, if you know the gospel story, included very wealthy people like tax collectors, very culturally powerful people like Pharisees, very despised people like the woman of Samaria, and very poor people like a blind beggar on the roadside, and everywhere in between. His followers were from every spectrum of society because that's not what your calling is. Your calling isn't to a spectrum of society. Your calling is to a love relationship with Jesus Christ. But now we get to the real issue, don't we? I was talking recently, I was having coffee with someone uh, near First Canadian Place, and they had spent years climbing the corporate ladder here in Toronto. They had done spectacularly well, but they just needed a break. And in needing a break and praying and reflecting, they realized they'd been running on a treadmill for almost 20 years. They were where most of us here are for a long time. They knew the top C-suite people at some of the top accounting and consultancy firms because they reported to them. And that person said, tell your young professionals that the reason I was on that treadmill for so long was because I was insecure and I felt I needed to prove myself. It's hard to get off. I'm so glad I got off. Tell them not to wait as long as I do. And now we get to the real issue. Jesus calls you and the calling is simple. But the calling is also hard. And that's why Paul had to write in 2 Corinthians 7 to a group of Corinthians something that seems rather nice but is actually rather confrontive. He says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called them. And he gives some examples here. If you're circumcised, stay that way. If you're a bondservant and not fully freed from your financial obligations, stay that way. Get out if you can. If you're single, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's okay to stay that way. If you're betrothed, it's okay to stay that way. If you're married, it's okay to stay that way. But actually being single is better than being married. Why? Because you can serve the one who calls you to follow him with a little more energy. That's what he actually says. What is he saying? 
He's talking to Corinthians who are like us. They were very restless people. Corinth was the second most powerful city in, in the Roman Empire, but it was a nouveau riche city. It had been very recently built. It had been made wealthy by its place in trade and commerce, but the wealthy status of Corinth, unlike most of the Roman Empire, were not landed aristocracy or people of noble families, but just simply people who'd made money in Corinth. It was a restless, rootless city where people had come to make it. They, like so many of us in so many global cities now, were renting their city, not investing as owners in it. And Paul says, stop, be content with where you are. Now, in our world of restlessness where we have trouble being content, the gospel must confront us here and say, why are you so restless? Why were they so restless that Paul had to write to them and try and get them to be content? By the way, quick note here, Paul talks about stations in life, singleness, your status as a free person or, or a bondservant, married or not. He's not even getting to jobs here. The, the primary calling Paul realizes is to Jesus and to follow Him. The secondary calling is husband, father, the various stations of life we go through. But he says, have some contentment in that. Don't be restless. He doesn't even get to jobs. That's even more peripheral for him. But Paul is saying, wherever you are when you're called to Jesus, there you are. Fish where you are. When I first became a Christian, I was uh, in university, and I was, um, had big ambitions to go to, to Bay Street, uh, practice a profession, make a lot of money, and get a home on, in Forest Hill and go to the Granite Club. I'd heard about these places. I'd been to the Granite Club. That's what I wanted. And as I went to this church and we were uh, having coffee afterward, there were a bunch of young adults and there was a construction worker there. And he started talking about, you know, I don't really care uh, which construction job I'm on or even which company I'm with. I can move around because I just want to share Jesus wherever I go. And I just kind of looked at him like, don't you have any ambition? And then as I got to understand the gospel better, I realized he had a far deeper understanding. He just wanted to be a witness for God in whatever providence God put him job-wise. He said, I just want to fish in this stream God gave me. But I remember listening to him and going, I, I, I don't think I can do that. I want to follow Jesus but I want to be on Bay Street, and I want a nice home, and I want to be able to play at that golf course. I want all of them. I want Jesus and them. I was restless. I was casting my eyes about, wondering what the right place to go in Toronto was, trying to figure it out, and so are you. Why are we restless? Because we need something. Something that will give us rest. And somehow we keep buying the lie that the next job, 
the next promotion, the next place of work will give us the rest our soul is looking for. Listen to my friend who has been on that treadmill for 20 plus years. It won't feed your soul. When has your job ever fully satisfied your soul? When? Never. I asked this woman at that coffee, what did you see when you went to the meetings with the C-suites? She said, I saw a group of people who averaged two divorces per person in the C-suites of my major consultancy firm. Their jobs had not satisfied them. Augustine of Hippo, one of the great church fathers, said it well. You won't find your rest in the global city shuffle because Augustine put it perfectly. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That's where you will find your rest. What your soul is seeking, men and women, your job will not give. Money will not provide, status cannot produce. What your soul thirsts for is what the gospel calls living water, water that changes you, water that frees you, water that sustains you to eternal life. It's the water that Jesus promised to the woman of Samaria. Anyone who believes in me, out of their inner being will come living water. Because the deepest thirst for your soul is this. Are you ready? It's communion with God. That's what your soul is craving. It is to be known and loved by the creator of the universe and loved infinitely by him as an adopted child. He created you with that hunger. He created you for that relationship. C.S. Lewis, you may have read him, best-selling author of children's books, but if you're an academic, you know this, he had it all. A British man who got to teach literature at Oxford and Cambridge, top of his profession. But when he was asked what people are most searching for, this is what he wrote in what I think is his finest essay, The Weight of Glory. He said this, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, but long to be acknowledged to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality is part of our un inconsolable secret. The promise of glory in the sense I've described becomes highly relevant to our deepest desire, for glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things doors on which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last. That is what your soul thirsts for, and no global city shuffle can give you that. Jesus came to give you just that. He came from the greatest job ever conceived, the Creator sustainer and ruler of the universe in all of his glory and he came down and he became a human limited 
himself voluntarily of all of his heavenly glory and becoming a human, humbled himself to being completely rejected, rejected to the point of being nailed to a cross. He himself humbled himself to serve you. And on the cross, he bore the depth of your thirst for your own glory and your selfish inclination for self-actualization that the Bible calls sin, and he paid for it so that you can be adopted and accepted and received and feel the pleasure of God himself and can have eternal communion with him. By grace, you've been saved. Everything your soul is looking for the one who says, follow me, has in his hands to give you. Will you follow you? Or will you follow him? Will you hear the call? Let us pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. Help us. Help us to hear the call of our Savior our Redeemer, your Son, and help us to follow Him wherever we are called to go, whatever we are called to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, there are the usual litany of questions. I will answer a couple and then answer the rest of them later. How do we become fishers of men and women in workplaces that don't welcome conversations about faith? Great question. Uh, we do it uh, more carefully than we have. We often have to do it more slowly uh, than we have uh, before. Giving verbal proclamation is more difficult. And so I think what you do is you give verbal witness by your work and by your being public as a Christian, and you wait for opportunities, wait for them to initiate. I, I remember when I was working before I went into ministry, people, as soon as they knew I was a Christian, watched me like a hawk, and very often after a beer or two in a pub or something, I would quietly get questions because people are interested. God creates that hunger in people, and they're intrigued by you. They just, it requires a little bit more diplomacy great question, but it does not require timidity. How then do we practically make decisions on where to move? Great question. I've given you no guidance because I have very little for you. Here's what I always tell people. How were you made? What are you good at? What you're good at is probably how God made you because He made you. That's a good clue as to what you should do. What do you like to do and are good at? If you've got both of those, you're well on your way to figuring out the general vocational direction of your life. If you like what you're doing and you're good at it, thirdly, are there opportunities to do it? Because you do have obligations. If you're a husband or a father or a wife or a mother, you may have obligations to feed yourself and your family, in which case sometimes you just need to get the job that will pay the bills. Because you see, you're freed not to have the perfect job that fits your gifts and fits your passions. That's a modern, no offense, that's a modern global city's first world top 5% dilemma. Can I get this gifts, passions, and everything fit into my job? Most people don't get to ask that question. You probably do. The bigger question is, what are you called to do? I'm called to feed my family in that station of life. Then you feed your family. 
and you follow God in that. Okay, I'm going to answer the rest of the questions outside of this, but let me pray, and after I have prayed, we will have a song and a time of response. Father, I thank you, and I praise you for this opportunity to consider what it actually means to be a called people. Help us to fulfill our calling by following you and letting you take our lives and making them glorious witnesses of you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.